Ready to make a difference in the lives of fathers and their families? The Show Up Dad podcast empowers the next generation of dads to lead with confidence and love. Your support and our amazing partners help us to create lasting impact. Consider donating 50, 100, or 250 to provide a dad with essential resources. And speaking of incredible partners, let us introduce you to Tallman Equipment. Since 1952, Tallman Equipment has been standing taller than the rest of competition in lineman tools. They provide top quality equipment and solutions for linemen, ensuring safety and efficiency on the job. If you're in need of reliable and durable tools, look no further than Tallman Equipment. Also, don't forget to check out our online shop at theshowupshop.myshopify.com for high quality products that support our cause. From t-shirts and hoodies, stickers, and even children's clothes, we have something for everyone. Not only will we be showing your support for our cause, but you'll also be getting a high quality product that you'll love. To learn more about what we do, visit theshowupdadfoundation.org. You can also find Lyman Tools at tallmanequipment.com. Thank you for your generosity, and let's empower dads and build stronger families. Welcome to the Show Up Dad. I'm thrilled to have Dr. Gary Lawrence with us today. Dr. G is a true expert when it comes to guiding others and identifying, isolating, and eliminating the root cause of emotional turmoil. With his impressive background as the founder and director of New Life Dynamics Christian Counseling Center for 23 years and the host of his own radio show, Life Mastery Counseling, he has touched the lives of thousands. During our discussion, we will dive deep into the topic of recognizing the damaging effects of rejection. Dr. G will shed light on how this trauma manifests itself throughout all phases of life. It's going to be an eye-opening conversation that will help us all understand and navigate the complexities of this emotional challenge. So without further ado, let us welcome Dr. G to the show and embark on the journey of healing and growth together. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, David. It's a joy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I started reading some of your books and I understand, and I've seen this even with the men I deal with, a lot of us deal with rejection. How did you get started on this journey, Dr. G? Well, boy, that's a story in itself, just like most stories are. Uh, Sylvia and I, we've been married for 56 years, David, Mm. and uh, we met in Bible college in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, we got married. She was 20. I was 22 years old. And uh, boy, I'll tell you right away, we started having problems. Mm. Well, like most married couples, you know, I I say like this, David, opposites attract, then they attack, and then they retract. Okay. Mm. And so we were in the uh, uh, attraction stage. Uh, We'd been married about three months. and I was on a road trip preaching for the weekend. And uh, I wasn't supposed to come home until Monday, but, I, you know, I was a young married man and wanted to get home to my new bride. Mm-hmm. And so uh, anyway, um, when I got home late that Sunday evening, she was in bed and I took a shower and fixed myself something to eat and got in bed and began to snuggle her. And she literally jumped out of bed so fast. She slammed herself against the wall. And David, for the next four hours, she sat there with her knees drawn up to her chest. And she said, please. Don't tell my daddy what you're doing to me. He told me never to let another man touch me like he did. And that was my introduction to her sexual abuse. Now, we didn't know the term PTSD then, but that's exactly what she was experiencing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought she was having a nervous breakdown. 
And so uh, finally I got her calmed down. And over the next several months, a lot of sexual abuse, emotional abuse, and physical abuse came out. Uh, she was uh, the oldest of four children. And uh, she never heard the words, I love you. She was never told, I'm, uh, you're pretty. Uh, we accept you unconditionally. Uh, we're here because the Lord gave you to us. She never had that kind of verbal or emotional in, uh, reinforcement in her childhood. But she was raised in a strict Baptist home. They were always in church. But there was the sexual abuse going on, and then there was the physical abuse from the mother. Uh, her mother is a very hostile, uh, abusive person, physically abused my wife. And so Sylvia, she had withdrawal patterns. Mm -hmm. uh, she handled her rejection as a child by escaping. She would hide in the basement to get away from her mother. Mm -hmm. And so uh, then uh, you look back in my background, I was the fourth of four children. And uh, I was the child that was never wanted. My father believed my mother got pregnant by another man. Wow. And so uh, there was no physical affection in my family. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was 22 years old before my father ever gave me his first hug. And by the way, David, I love the name of your broadcast, The Show Up Dad, uh, because uh, are you aware of the fact that in our country, 80% uh, of the single parent homes in our country are led by mothers, not fathers. 80% mm -hmm. are single mothers. And that's such a tragedy. Well, I'm giving the background to let you know that uh, we have been married. And I, now, I was a missionary to Winnipeg, to Canada, mm -hmm. and uh, we started a church there. Didn't know anybody. Uh, in uh, six months, we had 170 in our congregation. In three years, we bought uh, five acres of land and built a 450-seat auditorium. And I had a weekly radio program. And so we were growing. The ministry was just growing uh, exponentially. Yes. And I was seeing a lot of people get saved and come to the Lord. But, David, my marriage was falling apart. Mm. Okay? And by then, we had two boys. Uh, my older son's 55. My young one's 52 now. Wonderful men. They love the Lord. Their families are uh, strong in the Lord. But uh, anyway, uh, I was not a show-up uh, dad, David. Uh, mm -hmm. I was in the ministry. But here's the irony of it. During my uh, 12 months I was traveling on deputation as a missionary, I made friendships with a lot of pastors and their wives who yeah. were having, guess what, marriage and family issues. Mm -hmm. And they literally start coming to me for counseling. Now, that's almost unheard of because nothing stays secret uh, by traveling missionaries, okay? okay? But I was able to build a good reputation. And uh, so uh, we had a great ministry in Winnipeg in a 12-year cycle. Uh, we personally founded two churches, two private Christian schools. Uh, we helped start five other churches and seven other schools. But I was almost overwhelmed with the number of pastors and their wives that were coming to me for counseling, flying from the States up to Canada for marriage and family counseling. Mm -hmm. And I, I just didn't really have a passion for pastoring. So one day, we, Sylvia and I, we used to be snowbirds uh, from Canada. We were in Palm Springs, California for a three-week vacation. And I told Sylvia, I said, honey, I think it's time we start a counseling ministry. And she says, what? And I said, yeah, Sylvia, I just, uh, there's so many pastors and their wives that need help. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we came back to the States in 1980, moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where we started New Life Dynamics Christian Counseling Ministries. And I was on two of the Christian radio stations there in Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. And then in 1989, a pastor and his wife came to me from Phoenix. And uh, we saw their marriage healed in a tremendous way. And he said, Gary, we need this kind of counseling in Phoenix. So I began to train him to be a counselor. And we opened up a second office in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And for two years, I kept both offices open. And then we finally put our full attention here in Phoenix. And so we ended up being on five Christian radio stations here in the Valley. And so uh, God had blessed us in a tremendous way. We've seen so many wonderful men and women come to know the Lord as their Savior, but also see Christian men and women uh, see their marriages and their family lives turn around and become healthy uh, on a scriptural level. And so that's just a little bit of my background. So does that answer your question, David? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things, I mean, you know, first and foremost, thank you for telling us all those, you know, your whole entire background like that. Um, yeah, well, I'll never forget uh, when I was up in Winnipeg, you know, I greet people in the morning. Hello, it's good to see you. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you're here. Mm-hmm. But my marriage was was falling apart. Mm-hmm. And Sylvia decided it was time to leave. And David, you know, the sad, my sad thing is, my first response was not, oh, well, sweetheart, what can I do for you? Honey, what can I do to turn our marriage around? Mm-hmm. You know what my response was, David? What was oh, that? what are the people in the church going to think about me? This mm-hmm. is going to ruin my reputation. And it was all about me, 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 and me. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so I promised Sylvia, I said, honey, if you don't leave me, I promise you, I will find the answer. We didn't get married to get divorced. There's a reason why we're having so many conflicts. And uh, see, she she was nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, when she was a child, because of all the emotional abuse and physical abuse, she lost her voice and her choice. And so I, I would say things like, hey, you are beautiful. And or I love you. And she would say, well, the only reason you're saying that is because you're my husband. And that's what husbands are supposed to say. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I said, fine, I'm not going to praise you anymore. And so we were playing that game. I'll reject you before you reject me. And David, I found the root problem. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the Bible says, Look diligently, lest any man miss out on the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Mm -hmm. Ah, the root of bitterness. Now, uh, the thing about uh, bitterness is it's a root. You don't see roots. They're underneath. They're in the ground. Yeah. But I finally discovered what I believe was the cause of us rejecting each other. And so as I got into the scriptures and studied more and then began to study the history in our country about marriages and divorces, Mm -hmm. uh, I realized that by the time we're eight years old, 80% 80% of our emotional patterns are formed. Mm-hmm. By the time we're 18, 100% of our self-image is formed. So when you look at the average 20, 30, 40, or 50-year-old person, actually you're seeing uh, a child trapped in an adult body. Wow. Now, let me tell you a story. Uh, I had a fellow, he was 80 years old. He was a retired medical practitioner. Mm-hmm. And he and his wife had been married 50-some years when they came to me for counseling. And when I said by age eight, 80% of our emotional patterns are formed, he literally said, well, 
Dr. G, are you telling me I'm an 80-year-old, 8-year-old? And wow. his wife leaned over and patted him on the leg and said, see, sweetheart, I told you, you <laughs> act like a little boy. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so that, that's just the truth. 80% of our emotional patterns are formed. Now, David, bitterness is not a happy word. Mm-hmm. Uh, bitterness is not a friendly word. Uh, bitterness is a word that uh, uh, frightens people. Uh, they don't like to uh, admit that they're bitter. But I came up with some definitions of bitterness. How can you tell if you're bitter? How can you tell if the root of bitterness is in your soul? Well, I came up with this. Uh, bitterness is an inward resentment. You show me someone that you inwardly resent, I'll show you someone you have a root of bitterness towards. Uh, wow. Bitterness is a wounded spirit. You show me someone that has wounded your spirit, I'll show you someone that you're connected by that root of bitterness. Uh, bitterness is an anxiety. Show me someone that makes you anxious and nervous when you're around them. Uh, bitterness is a, uh, a sense of abandonment. Show me someone that, who has made you feel abandoned in your life. Uh, bitterness, oh, here's a good one. Bitterness is a guilt. You show me someone or something that makes you feel guilty all the time, I'll show you someone you have a root of bitterness towards. And so, see, there are many different definitions for that word bitterness. And uh, every once in a while, I'll counsel someone. They're very nice. They're very polite. They're very soft-spoken. And uh, so I go through these definitions, and I say, can you see how the root of bitterness has captivated you? And they'll start crying, and they'll say, yes, I do, Dr. G. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, well, here's the truth. You're a very kind person. You're a very polite person. You're a very soft-spoken person. You're just a bitter, kind, polite, and soft-spoken person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so bitterness is really uh, an overwhelming force in many Christians, people's lives. Yes. No, and I could see how it could be, too. Um, bitterness also has a way of, like you said in the Bible and Hebrews, of defiling you and everything right. around you. Right. So if you're harboring that bitterness man, right. your family is going to be affected by it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Bitterness does two things. It troubles the individual mm-hmm. and it defiles many. So when Sylvia and I got married, we didn't know this. We were just young college students. Okay. Mm-hmm. But both of us drug a lot of past bitterness into that young relationship. Yeah. And so we played that game. I'll reject you before you reject me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so uh, it took several years for us. I, I tell everybody the first 10 years of our marriage were not happy years. And so we have broken the generational past down. Mm-hmm. You know, the scripture says the sins of the father shall be visited upon the third and fourth generation. Yes. Now, God's not saying he's going to judge the innocent for their father's sins. What God is saying is he's going to show the same grace and mercy to the generations down that he showed to, to the uh, founding generation. Mm-hmm. And so that generational pass down has to be broken. And I know there are men and women listening to us today that can identify with the fact that they have been caught in that generational pass down. And how do they break it? Well, you've got to learn how to get free of your bitterness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had a guy to me uh, come to me one time for marriage counseling. And he said, Dr. G, my marriage is falling apart. It's in 
shatters. I don't care what you have to do to make my marriage healthy. If you have to scotch tape it together, then use all the scotch tape you need. And I said, well, I, I, I'm sad, sad to tell you this, but you're in the wrong office. Mm-hmm. He says, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm not a marriage counselor. He said, well, yes, you are. I heard you on the radio. I said, no, I'm not a marriage counselor. You see, marriages don't have problems. People do. Mm. I'm a people counselor, okay? Yes. If I can help the man get free from his past and help the woman get free from her past, then we can take this couple in this relationship called marriage and make it a a healthy, uh, spiritual, emotional relationship. Man, you know, and that's that holds so true, Dr. G, because I heard this one pastor one time talk about how in marriage, right, two opposites attract, we come together, and by God's design, there's gonna be there's gonna be tension, right? But we can't allow that tension to pull us apart because that same tension, you know, going in opposite directions actually, like on a tension bridge, causes us to be strong. Right. Okay. Tension is just a clear indication that, hey, we need to work on something. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that's, and that's what I tell all the, the men I deal with, with when they come to me with uh, familial conflicts or, or problems in their, in their marriages. Right. So I tell them, I was like, dude, that's just a clear indication that you need to work on something. That's it. Right. Don't, don't look at it in a negative light. Don't, you know, you need to change right. the way you look at these problems, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And unfortunately, um, mm-hmm. most men who are dads have never been taught how to be a dad. Yes. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to put you on the spot. But did your dad ever sit down or take time to teach you and say, David, I'm going to teach you how to be a father? Mine didn't. No, now, my dad didn't. My dad didn't teach me how to be a husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, he taught me how to yell at a wife. He taught me how to curse a wife. Mm -hmm. Uh, He taught me how to uh, reject a wife, but he never taught me how to nurture a wife. He never taught me how to uh, uh, love a wife like Christ loved the church. Uh, I was, I was, there was zero instruction in my childhood or my young adulthood. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going on in our country today, worldwide, really. Yes. Very few men are being taught how to be a man, how to be a husband or how to be a father. No, and I agree with you, Dr. G. Um, we think our job stops right there with just being the provider, you know, right. hence, hence the slogan that we have for our podcast is be more than just a paycheck. Right. right? Be a show yeah. up dad. Yes. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, when I wrote my book, Rejection Junkies, mm-hmm. I wanted to focus on what was the underlying cause in every marriage and family relationship? Well, mm-hmm. it's the root of bitterness. It's the rejection patterns. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's dragging the past into the present, and that prevents them from, from creating a future uh, that the Lord wants them to have. Mm-hmm. And as long as you keep dragging the past around, you're never going to have a healthy relationship in the present. It's just never going to happen. And, and what is so sad, David, uh, people that get divorced. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. This marriage didn't work out, but boy, I'm going to try again. The next one's going to be a lot better. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The next one's no better at all. And I had to come to the place. And this was a turning point in my marriage. I had to come to a place 
where I was willing to get into the Word of God and learn how to love my wife like Christ loved the church. Mm. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I had to understand, what is my wife's needs? Well, her needs are no different than my needs. Mm -hmm. She had mental needs. She had emotional needs. She had spiritual needs. She had physical needs, sexual needs, and she had financial needs. And it was my responsibility not just to provide the financial needs or the material needs, but get into the realm of meeting her emotional needs mm. and her spiritual needs as Christ loved the church. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And, and just to, to cap off, I want to read some statistics that I thought were fascinating that will just go along with what you're saying here. All right, please um, do. Two out of three marriages end in divorce. 54% of first-time marriages end in divorce in the first three years. Right. 64% of first-time marriages end in divorce in the first seven years. And this is where I think it's interesting, right? 75% of all second marriages end in divorce. 75%. That's a huge chunk, right? I know it. <laughs> and then going on even past that, 92% of all third-time marriages end in divorce, right? Yeah. yeah. So that goes along with the old adage, no matter where you go, there you are. So you need to yeah. work on yourself, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. It's kind of like that story about Bob and George. They were golfing mm -hmm. buddies, and they wanted to get an early start out in the golf course. So they were there on the first tee when the sun came up. Mm -hmm. And so Bob teed off, and then George teed off. And, man, it was about 6 o'clock in the evening before Bob got home. And his wife said, what in the world took you so long? You only played 18 holes of golf. You're usually home by early afternoon. And he said, well, sweetheart, I teed off on the first tee, and then George teed off, and he had a heart attack. And so it was drag George to the second tee and tee off, and then drag George to the third tee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so – uh, that, that's what happens. Uh, people don't realize this, but they literally unconsciously drag the past with them into mm. every adult relationship they encounter in their life. And those statistics are just absolutely mind-blowing, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. Now, you talked about how we bring it into our past, right? Our, our past affects our present, okay? Right. How do we, how does our emotional focus from the past affect our present? Can you explain that? Well, yeah, it's warped. Uh, mm. It's damaged. Okay. Uh, for example, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, children, they follow that old adage, monkey see, monkey do. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and many times my dad would say, you do what I say or else. Mm -hmm. Well, he never uh, gave me a positive role model to see. He always said, here's what you're going to do or else. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the bottom line is people are just simply not trained in their childhood. Mm -hmm. And those negative patterns, by the time they're eight years old, control every thought they have. And so they just drag that into their marriage relationship. And they continue repeating it. And when you repeat it, you really get good at it. Mm -hmm. And so you become a professional rejector uh, in relationships. And so as you just uh, quoted those statistics, uh, mm -hmm. you go from your first marriage into your second marriage and into your third marriage. Uh, you remember Elizabeth Taylor, right? Yes, yes. She was married and divorced eight times. 
Wow. Man, how would you like to have been husband number eight in that situation? Jeez. Do you think that woman had a few problems? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like many of us. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like all of us. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to the human race. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Now, there's only, you know, in your book, right, you say that there's only one real cause for negative emotional behavior. What is that one cause? Just. Well, it's the root of bitterness. Just bitterness, right? Yeah, bitterness. Yeah, bitterness comes at you in many, many forms. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you, you know, um, uh, you don't know what the flowers on a tree is going to look like. Mm -hmm. uh, because you don't know what kind of roots I have. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's the way it is in life. Uh, I came out of my background, very bitter. Uh, I was the fourth of four children. My father believed my mother got pregnant by another man. Mm -hmm. And so he rejected me very overtly. Uh, and my, my mother overprotected me. And so I rejected her overprotection mm -hmm. because I wanted to gain my father's acceptance. And so I lost a relationship with both my parents. I rejected her and he rejected me. And by the time I was 16 years old, that's when I left home, never to go back. Mm. And so I was a very angry, hostile, bitter young man. And then I got saved when I was 20 and a half years old. And man, did I get saved, <laughs> I'll tell mm. you. Uh, it was an experience. And uh, But uh, anyway, then God called me to preach. And if it wasn't for the fact that I was saved, I had the Holy Spirit living in me, I would have never been able to make the changes in my character and personality that God enabled me to make. But mm. that's because I wanted to learn how to love like the Lord loved me. Mm. And I, uh, Now, you talk about being a show-up dad. Uh, I'll never forget when my older son, Dwayne, was about four years old or five years old. And I had paddled him for something, and I just didn't feel right about it. Yeah. And uh, I sent him to his bed, and he went to bed. I could not go to sleep that night, David. And finally, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I got Dwayne up. We went out in the living room, and I had him stand in front of me and looked him in the eyes. And I said, Dwayne, I need to ask you to forgive me for something. Mm -hmm. He said, what's that, Daddy? I said, well... When I paddled you, I didn't just hurt your bottom. I wounded your spirit. Could you please forgive me for wounding your spirit? And he hugged me and said, yes, Daddy, I forgive you. And David, I'll never forget that night and the rest of my life. We got on our knees in front of the castle. I put my arms around my son, and I started crying. I said, dear Lord, please help me learn how to be a daddy. Mm. And from that time on, I was a show-up dad. And I love the title of your program, Show Up Dads. Mm -hmm. And uh, some, of the, some of the things I did as my boys grew older, uh, I think had a tremendous impact on them because I had broken the bondage of the bitterness to the past. And I'll give you an example how I did that. Uh, because I was able to be free mentally and emotionally, I was able to show up for my sons. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so what I would do, uh, from the time they were about eight or nine years old, I dedicate one Saturday every month to each of my boys. Mm -hmm. Whatever they want to do, I'm going to spend that day with them. Sometimes we would just go roller skating. Sometimes we would go fishing. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes uh, I remember my younger son, Kevin, he said, well, Dad, let's, uh, old, you, you remember Old Town Albuquerque, right? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, let's just go down to Old Town Albuquerque and hang out today. I said, okay. So that's what we did. We went down there and just hung out and walked around the stores and ate ice cream and ate lunch. And But the thing is, I showed up for my boys. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted them to learn how to stand alone. I wanted them to be able to make decisions for their own well-being before they graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. So what I did, I set goals for my sons. I had three basic goals. Number one, I wanted them to learn how to stand alone. And by that, I mean I wanted them to be able to make a decision without depending on the input from their peers. I wanted them to be able to stand alone, not not stand by themselves, not avoid making friendships, but be strong in character and stand alone. Secondly, I wanted them to be financially free, not necessarily be free from debt, but be free from the power of money, from the control that the money has on people. And then the third thing is I wanted them to learn how to love a wife like Jesus loved the church. And David, I spent a lot of time talking to my boys about their mother's needs emotionally, a woman's needs spiritually. And I even talked to my sons about a woman's needs sexually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's unfortunate in many, many Christian homes, the conversation of sex is never discussed yeah. in a healthy manner. Uh, it, it's almost a taboo conversation, even in today's society. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. And it's unfortunate that it is like that because it's a natural thing that God created between a husband and a wife, right? Um, to become one flesh. Right. So now, now uh, here uh, before I forget, I want to share this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, learning how to get free from the past is not something that happens overnight. Okay, uh, it's a process. My counseling process walks my clients through that, mm-hmm. and I put them through a technique I call the emotional surgery. And I tell them the scalpel I use is the Word of God. The anesthesia I use is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I position them to literally. Cut that cord to the past. Now, here's an example. Uh, when I found out what my father-in-law did to my wife, man, an instant root of hate was in my heart. Yeah, I hated that man. I wanted nothing to do with her family. And that was a tremendous negative impact. She was living in fear even after she had married me. Oh, what's my dad going to say? What's my mom going to do? Mm-hmm. And so anyway, um, when I got into the Word of God and began to understand the damage and control that bitterness has over a person, I also had to come to understand what does true forgiveness mean? Mm. Okay. Uh, when you hear a lot of Christians, uh, you ask them, uh, what does forgiveness mean to you? Oh, well, forgive and forget, you know, or let go and let God. No, no, that's so shallow. That's so empty. It's so useless. Uh, forgiveness is so much more than that. You know, uh, the Bible says that sweet water and bitter water cannot flow through the same fountain. It's an impossibility. Well, how could I love my father-in-law if I hated him? As long as that bitterness was going in that direction, how could I give him the love of Christ? It's an impossibility. Yeah. So I came up with this definition of forgiveness. And uh, if you don't agree with it, David, please tell me. Be honest with me, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, So here's my definition of forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is becoming more concerned for the needs of the offender than what they've done to offend you. Mm. So let, let me say that again. Forgiveness is becoming more concerned for the needs of the offender than what they've done to offend you. Now stop and think about what did Christ do when he was on the cross? He was more concerned about our needs than he was about his life. He gave mm. himself as a sacrifice. So I realized I have to get free of my bitterness. Mm-hmm. So, see, my problem wasn't the fact that my father-in-law sexually abused my wife. My problem now was the fact that I had so much hatred towards him, and I had kept that in our marriage relationship. Yeah. And so I responded on that level emotionally. So I thought, okay, I need to seek forgiveness for my bitterness towards him. Oh, my goodness, how am I going to do that? I'm going to have to talk to him, (laughs) okay? (laughs) And so with my wife sitting beside me, I called him, and we're just calling him Harry. Yeah. And I said, "Uh, Harry, this is Gary. He said, yeah, what's going on? I said, well, uh, the reason I'm calling you is the Lord has shown me I've been having some emotional problems. And part of my problem is I need to ask you to forgive me for something. Dead silence. Mm-hmm. And then he said, yeah, what's that? And I said, well, could you please forgive me for my bitterness towards you? Now, see, I didn't focus on his behavior. Yeah. I didn't focus on his sin. I didn't focus on his evil doing. I focused on my bitterness. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was dead silent. He didn't say a word. So I said it the second time. Could you please forgive me for my bitterness towards you? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, I guess. I said, okay, well, thank you very much, Preston. And I hung up. And I just gave his name away. That's all right. He's in the, he's in heaven now. But anyway, uh, so about a week later, I thought, you know what? I haven't even thought about him for a week. Mm-hmm. And, and I started talking to Sylvia about it. And I said, honey, you know, uh, let's talk about what your dad went through when he was a kid. And she started giving me more history of his background. And I thought, oh, my goodness. The generational pass down. There you go. Mm-hmm. Pass down from his generation to my wife's generation and now down to my boy's generations, right? Mm-hmm. And so I called him up. It was about a week later. And I said, Harry, this is Gary. How are you doing? He said, well, I'm doing all right. What's going on? And I said, I just wanted to call and tell you, I love you. And I'm so glad you're my father-in-law. And I thank God that he put you in my life. Mm-hmm. And it was like, man, there's no bitterness anymore. I'm free. Mm. He's no longer in my marriage relationship on an emotional or spiritual level. It's mm. powerful, David. It's absolutely yeah. powerful. No, I could definitely see how it could be powerful. Um, forgiveness, one thing that I've learned is that it's not necessarily just, right? It's not just. It's something we need to be obedient and do. And it's for our sakes, not for theirs. But it's so much easier to carry anger. It's so much easier to hate. It's so much easier to uh, destroy Mm -hmm. than to build. And so the the emotional surgery, and I tell all my clients, it is the hardest, uh, Mm -hmm. most painful, emotionally challenging experience you ever have in your life. But it's also the most freeing and the Mm -hmm. most empowering. You literally take ownership of your life. I got a question for you, um, Dr. G. Sure. 
how does one go about uh, forgiving? Because I've heard different people say different stuff. Uh, someone who has you have bitterness towards and they're no longer with us. Well, uh, what I do is I suggest that they write a letter mm. and be honest. And in that letter, tell them you hate them. Mm. Uh, tell them everything that, that uh, you feel towards them. Be honest about your emotions. Don't hold anything back. Mm-hmm. And, and then, uh, you know, uh, I, I remember, man, I'd tell you what, I wrote probably 50 to 60 letters to various people. Yeah. They were no longer alive. And uh, then I, I encourage them, take time to, to go with your mate, your husband and your wife, and go out in the backyard uh, and uh, maybe you have a barbecue place. You can put those letters in mm-hmm. and put a little bit of fluid on there and light them and burn those. And just set yourself free from the past. I call that action therapy. You're taking action therapy to get rid of the past. <laughs> but unfortunately, so many people, David, are addicted to their misery. Mm. They, they love being miserable. That's all they've ever known. Yeah, they yeah. They, they can't imagine a life of genuine mental and emotional and spiritual freedom. Why is that? Why are they addicted to that? Well, like any addiction, you become immune to the damage it does to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I know in my household, there was constant yelling and screaming and cursing mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in my young childhood, my, my young adolescence. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Guess what I carried into our marriage? Yelling and cursing and screaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it becomes a wardrobe that you put on. It's all you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't know anything else. I knew nothing about peace. I knew nothing about joy. Uh, and uh, I knew nothing about genuine happiness. And so we just continue to be addicted to it. It's just like you talk to the average uh, person addicted to drugs. Well, why do you keep doing that to yourself? Well, that's all they know. Uh, they can't imagine living a life of freedom from that drug, from that addiction. They can't imagine uh, being empowered and making intelligent choices for their well-being. And so uh, rejection like any other addiction, blinds a person to the reality of what true freedom is. Mm, mm, mm. And and that's why on my book, Rejection Junkies, the subtitle is Overcoming the Addiction that Everyone Suffers. Mm. And I could see that too, because I mean, I've dealt with people in our line of work where I see their pattern. Right. And my goal is to help them see that same pattern, too, because they're continuously going through it. You know, they'll take it uh, from job to job and then they're always the victim. Well, they did this. They did this. Oh, they laid me off. But you know what I mean? And it's like, man, you need to see the pattern, brother. You are self-destructing. There's a great book as well by that I read by Trinity Jordan. It's Sabotage. Right. And Uh how you continuously relive and sabotage your life because there's an inner belief that you believe that you don't deserve better. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what was the title of that book again, David? It was called Sabotage by Trinity Jordan. Oh, Trinity Jordan. I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. have to get that book. That's good. And I yeah. also recommend Rejection Junkies. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. No, Um. It, it's crazy though, because there's so many men that, and women, I should say, that are going through this, right? And they don't know why. They don't see that pattern. They don't see how 
the different types of rejection are, are manifesting in their life. And like you said, it's a root, right? Right. And what is the word of God said? I think it's in Leviticus where it says that I have come to destroy the root from below to destroy the fruit from above because it's a root that's underneath. And guess what? What you're seeing now manifesting in your life is the fruit that it's producing. And if you don't like that fruit, you got you can't just chop it down at the base because it's going to grow again. You got to dig it up and you need to kill them roots. Boy, you you said that very well, David. And uh, unfortunately, uh, people are so busy making a living, they don't have a life. Mm. And uh, so I tell everybody, it's time that you uh, stop worrying about making a living and make a life. Mm. Uh, you've got to take time to get focused. You've got to take time to choose what direction your life is going to go in. Yeah. And as long as you're alive, you've got the, your free will choice to make that decision. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, I'm just waiting for God to leave me. Well, why are you putting the pressure just on God? Why don't you assume responsibility for your own mental and emotional and spiritual well-being? God gave you the tools. You've got the word of God. Mm-hmm. God gave you the instruction book. You've got the Bible. God gave you the guider, uh, the Holy Spirit to lead you. It's a matter of taking time and finding the answers and applying those solutions in your own life. Mm-hmm. And people who are always uh, of the victim mindset, uh, usually they have been overprotected by one parent. Wow. Uh, um, Especially men uh, who are always the victim. They always blame someone else for their problem. It's Mm -hmm. my wife's fault. Uh, It's it's the people I work with. Uh, It's the company policies. Uh, It's everybody else's fault but their own. I'll guarantee you they were raised in an environment where the mother overprotected them and shielded them from taking responsibility for their choices. Uh, It's almost a given, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be judgmental. It's just a fact that I had to, that I dealt with, with many years in Mm -hmm. counseling. I'm glad you said that because there's so much that's going on in the world right now. Even let's say we we talked about Albuquerque, right? Well, in Albuquerque, we have a group of people that, have this victim mindset, you know what I mean? They're continuously thinking about what happened to them in the past. Right. Okay. And I got to give them credit because they are on fire. They truly have conviction and they believe and they're fighting for something. Right. But isn't that so much like the enemy, the great deceiver to deceive them and get them blinded to be putting all their focus and energy into a belief that happened in the past many years ago. Right. Right. Instead of them overcoming and saying, hey, I am not that person. This is not who God saw me as. And I cannot stay in this mindset fighting everyone. It is not the white man. It is not the Hispanic who who has um, put me down and under their foot, right? That is right. not who you are. And I just want to say that to the people that are listening, because I know we we are aired in the Southwest. You are not that. God does not see you as that anymore. You know, you are not a victim. So stop acting as a victim and acting like you have to be paid for things in the past that have happened. Right. But you see, they can't stop acting. They can't get off the stage Mm -hmm. because they are addicted to the rejection patterns of the past. Mm -hmm. And that's why I call it the hidden addiction. Everyone suffers. Mm. Everybody suffers. You suffered. I suffered it. My wife suffered it. uh, And it's just a generational pass down. Now, very few people will ever live a life of genuine 
mental and emotional and spiritual freedom. Very few people, very few Christians. Uh, and you know, uh, I had a guy say, well, Dr. G, if being a Christian is so wonderful, why am I still so miserable? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. You know, there's a lot of Christian people who are victims to hostility, depression. Oh, let's talk about depression for a minute. Okay. Depression is one of the most prominent issues that Christian people deal with. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I'm trying to think of the, uh, well, I, uh, I've got this saying here. Um, depression is nothing more than hostility turned inward. Mm-hmm. It's where you're beating up on yourself emotionally. And as long as you're focusing inwardly on a negative level, you will never be open to the positive truth of the word of God. So depression is hostility turned inward. Mm. Okay. I never heard it put it that way. That's uh yeah. That's amazing. Huh. Well, I got that definition from James Dobson. Okay. I'm focusing the family. Yeah, you know, uh, you uh, now if you can show me a blood test that mm. shows a chemical imbalance in the blood of a person, then I will accept the diagnosis of clinical depression. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is depression is nothing more than hostility turned inward. Now, a man's ability to love his wife is the overflow of his own self-esteem. Mm. If a man does not have a positive self-image, he will not have the ability to love his wife on the level God wants him to love his wife. Now, we're not talking about a self-centered, egotistical uh, uh, level of self-love. Yeah. We're talking about a grateful acceptance of the fact that you're a child of the living God, and God made you in his image. Mm. Uh, God didn't make us in our image. God made us in his image. Mm-hmm. Okay? Wow, man, I'd never heard that put that way before. Yeah. That's well, powerful, Dr. G. Well, see, I had to learn how to love Gary. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 David, let's take a minute here. Uh, ask me what I think of Gary Lawrence. What do you think about Gary Lawrence? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I love Gary. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a kind, uh, loving, uh, generous, accepting, benevolent, spirited man. Mm-hmm. And uh, he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And he accepts God's love for him. And that's his identity. He is a child of the living God. Mm-hmm. And, and see, now once I came to that place in my life, which was 40 some years ago, yeah, then I could begin to love my wife on a healthy level. But until you learn to love yourself, you're never able to love other people. Now, uh, the word love is often confused with the word need. They say, mm-hmm. well, I love my wife. No, you need your wife. You're needy mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Until a man learns how to love himself unconditionally, he will never have a healthy level of love for his wife or his children. It's an impossibility. Man, you know, and you see that going around now. That's a a major push that I see through all these uh, coaching and stuff like that is – Working on self, working on self. Everybody has this program where right. they're always consistently working on self. So uh, it's good to see that they're focusing on that because that's a major need. Right. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? But, you know, the bottom line is uh, mm-hmm. without the input of the Holy Spirit yes, uh, and the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, 
you're never going to have the right self-image. It's the possibility. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, there's just a lot of man-made philosophies out there. Yeah. That uh, are a dead end road. No, I agree with you a hundred percent. There's no lasting change unless you have the Holy spirit. Right. You know, absolutely. You, yeah. You can do thousands of burpees and beat yeah. yourself into submission and whatever right. it was trend is. Right. Yeah. But unless you have the actual heart change, which only the Holy Spirit can bring, right? It's not going to last. You're going to burn not, yourself not out, all. right? You it's know? very fleeting. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, in your book, you talked about emotional energy thieves, and I talked about energy thieves on another podcast with a man from Canada who's such an amazing person. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about what does that term mean to you. Well, emotional energy thieves mm-hmm. are emotional energy thieves. Uh, they are unconsciously plugged into your life, and they mm-hmm. drain emotional energy from you. For an example, uh, you may have a family member that's always broke. Okay. And uh, no, no matter how much help you give them, they're always broke. You always want to borrow money. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an emotional energy thief. <laughs> or you may have a family member that their life is always a drama. Uh, mm-hmm. There's always a conflict. Uh, they're always hurting. They're weeping. They're sad. They're depressed. That's an emotional energy thief. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took me quite a few years to learn that the wisest thing I can do is unplug the energy thieves from the past and don't let new energy thieves plug into me. Mm-hmm. I don't like being around needy people. Uh, needy people control with their weakness. Mm. Okay, uh, uh, so uh, as long as they continue to live a life of weakness and feelings of insecurity and feelings of insecurity and feelings of inadequacy, nothing's going to change in their life. They'll wow. just keep draining energy from you. Okay, for for an example, uh, we used to go to my uh, wife's in uh, mother and father's house for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no joy. Uh, uh, I remember now that this was not in Bible college. I saved enough money to buy her a fake rabbit fur coat. Mm-hmm. Now, back in those days, we've been married 56 years. So that was about 50 years ago. Wow. I probably paid about 150 bucks for a fake rabbit fur coat. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were at her parents' house for Christmas and she unwrapped that coat. And I'm telling you, David, you would have thought it was a mink stole. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just loved that. And her father said, well, I just have one question. And I said, yeah, what's that? He said, what are you going to do next year for an encore? See, they didn't give gifts to each other. Yeah, yeah. Give joy to each other. They were emotional energy thieves. Mm-hmm. So guess what? As a result of that experience, Sylvia and I decided we're going to cut that energy thief from our life. We're not going to be there during Christmas anymore in their environment. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a tough decision, but it's a decision we had to make. And yeah. so for Christmas, we did not go to family members' homes for Christmas because we didn't want them to plug in into our uh, peaceful life and our peaceful and joyful environment. Mm-hmm. You really have to guard yourself from these emotional energy thieves. And it's 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 good that you said that, especially us leading up into the holidays. Because I mean, yeah, I I know so many people that get so caught up in having the perfect holiday. The perfect, right. it's got to be perfect. 
you know, they, it's almost like they're on autopilot every year. We need to go here, here and here. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, you, as a husband, right. We're called to be protectors. Right. You know? And it's, I'm glad to see that you said that you got with your wife and you guys worked together and you made a right. conscious decision to say, Hey, right. no longer are we going to allow these to, to steal our joy basically. Right. Right. Absolutely. And uh, that brings up another point, David. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the great uh, things that has made our marriage become healthy many years ago is when I finally realized that I did not have the right, I did not have the authority to make life-impacting decisions without mm-hmm. getting my wife's input. Our wives are the Holy Spirit in our marriage. And for us to make decisions without seeking the input of our wife is just absolutely destructive. Mm. And so I, I would not make any decision without the input of my wife. Mm. No, and, and so many people need to hear that because, you know, a lot of times when you have a stay-at-home mom, right? Yeah. The father is the one who's making the money. Well, guess right. what? With that money being made, he's making these decisions. Right. And and, and isn't that sad? It I is. Mean, the, the description you just gave, the stay-at-home mom. And the mm-hmm. man that goes make the money. It's like they got married. Now let's go our separate ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and wow. we'll come back together at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when a man realizes that God gave his wife as a helpmate, not as a servant, not as a slave, not as the uh, babysitter of the children, mm-hmm. not as the fixer of the food, but God gave his wife as a helpmate. And oh my goodness. Uh, I cannot tell you uh, the the heartache, the heartbreak that my wife has uh, helped me avoid by seeking her opinion before I made a decision. Mm. And it's amazing how sure see things that I don't see. Absolutely. It is. It's almost like they're emotionally in touch while we're physically in touch, <laughs> right? And, and uh, it's unfortunate because I've been married now. We just got had our 18th uh, anniversary doctor well, congratulations thank you and uh it's, it hasn't been easy i mean i'm one of those guys that i just discussed right i made the money my wife stayed at home and guess what i made all major decisions and i hit a lot of decisions from her right and it wasn't to her pointing out to me that man when you do that you're saying that i am not equal with you you are right. literally saying and and this is a narrative that she was creating in her head, right? That she was not smart enough to make right. decisions with me. Right. Right. And it wasn't until her explaining that to me, right? Because it, it's taken a lot of years of of uh, therapy and just doing the uh, getting emotional uh, IQ up in our in ourselves, right? And doing the wow. work that we needed to do for us to be able to come and talk to each other this way, right? It, right. It's a lot of work, you know, and um, she was able to say that to me and tell me. And it's like the light went on. I was like, well, wow, I didn't know I was doing that. You know? Well, and here's the thing. In every marriage, there's a parent and there's a child. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with gender. So I'm going to take a wild guess here mm-hmm. that you were probably the more dominant personality. Oh, and yeah. your wife was a more passive person. Am I close to be correct? Absolutely. 100%. Right. So you were the parent. She was the child. So in her childhood, I'll guarantee you, there's two things she lost. She lost her voice and her choice. Mm. Okay. Uh, so 
when we marry that personality, it's just natural that we are the dominant one. Mm-hmm. It's just natural that we are the survivor. We're the leader, man. We're going to take charge, right? Yeah. And so we'll marry our wives. They get pregnant, start having the babies. Now that's your domain. You take care of the home. I'll take care of getting the money. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad because it's uh, may the two never come together on a healthy level. No. And uh, someone said, uh, marriage is a wonderful institution if you like institutions. Mm. <laughs> Man, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Wow. No, and it's true because what happens is, and like in our marriage, over time, more kids pop out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Life starts going on, right? Right. That root gets buried in them, that resentment. And before you know it, it's making them sick. Um, There's a a great divide in the marriage, right? There's a disconnection, you know? And it starts subtle. Like a lot of times when I talk to married couples, both my wife and I, it's like this stuff didn't happen overnight. No. This was a seed planted many, many years ago. Right. And it's just been cultivated and watered over and over and over again to what you're seeing right now. This is the fruit of it and you're eating it, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's the addiction that everybody suffers. Mm. Yeah. And even especially after they get saved. See, I couldn't understand after I got saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, if being saved was so wonderful, why is I still depressed? Yeah. Why do I still have a problem with anger? Uh, why did I still have a problem with depression and worry? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so that's, of course, you know, you've heard my story already. Yeah. It's a journey through life in the word of God. And let mm-hmm. me say this to your audience, David. The word of God needs to be center in your life. The yes. word of God is the instruction booklet given to us under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And there's not any book in the world that will give you the uh, understanding and knowledge that you need mm-hmm. any more clearly than the word of God in a practical way. Mm. I'm glad that you said that, Dr. G. Because you're absolutely right. I don't know how many young believers I know that when they become a believer, they think that all their problems are gone. I don't know if it's the church failing to disciple people nowadays or what, but I hear that over and over again. I serve God. I tithe. Why is my life happening this way? Right. And I, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. You know, that's something that we believed in as well. Right. Uh-huh. But it's still our choices and it's still stuff that we bring in this emotional baggage that we haven't dealt with. Right. And I want to quote. Pastor Craig Castor, who's a mentor of mine, and he says that God will not do for you by miracle what you can do for yourself by obedience, right? I I love that. That's good. Say that again, David. God will not do by miracle what God has commanded you to do by obedience. Boy, that is awesome, isn't it? Mm, It is, man, because it's so true. We have to fall in line and do what God has called us to do, right? And that's putting in that emotional work and and getting with guys like you and letting the Holy Spirit actually do that spiritual surgery in us. And it hurts. It does. Right. It really does. Well, and you know, just as you said that, uh, after I got saved Mm -hmm. and started going to church regularly, I was never raised in church. My parents were agnostics and both of them were alcoholics. Uh, but anyway, I started going to church and I began to realize I have a heavenly father. Mm. I never had an earthly father. 
but I have a heavenly father. And oh my goodness, that relationship with my heavenly father was so priceless, Mm -hmm. so valuable to me. And I could talk to my father anytime I needed to. And I could hear from him anytime I wanted to by getting in the word of God. Mm. You know, when we pray, we talk to him. When we read the word of God, he talks to us. Yes. And there's a promise with that, too. Yeah. My heart goes out to men on all different levels. David, I've Mm -hmm. counseled some of the wealthiest people in America. Mm -hmm. I've counseled high high visceral uh, people from Hollywood, uh, politicians nationwide. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've counseled some of the poorest people. And the bottom line is they all have in common. Everybody is a rejection junkie on some level. And in my book, Rejection Junkies, as you're reading it now and you get into chapter after chapter, you will get me given the tools, the knowledge and the technique to get free from that addiction. Mm. Right now, I just want to give you the opportunity. How can they get that book, Dr. G? Well, they can go to my website. Okay. That's rejectionjunkies.com. That's rejectionjunkies, J-U-N-K-I-E-S.com. And they can uh, get acquainted with my wife and I there, and they can order my book from that website, or they can just go to Amazon uh, and order it. Uh, It became an Amazon bestseller in the first seven days that it was out. If you don't have a purpose in life, you really have no value in life. It's that simple. Wow. Wow. No, and I'm glad you said that because it's so true. I think a lot of people are losing hope nowadays because they don't have a purpose. Well, once again, thank you for coming on our show and thank you for just sharing what rejection is and the symptoms to look for and how they can get your book and and start getting to work and, and putting this into practice. I appreciate well, it. One, and one more thing, if they go to my website, rejectionjunkies.com, mm-hmm. uh, on the on the homepage, uh, in the lower right-hand corner, it says, are you a rejection junkie? Take this quiz. Mm. And they can take that quiz and I'll get it in my inbox, and I will reach out to them via email and give them an opportunity to go over the results of that quiz. I'll spend 30 minutes with them, no cost. Uh, I'm just giving my time because I want to be of a help to people. And so that's something I encourage them to do. Take that quiz. Are you a rejection junkie? Wow. You guys heard it live from the man himself, man. 30 <laughs> minutes of his time. That's that's not cheap. Time is our most precious commodity. No, absolutely. So- So take advantage of it. Once again, thank you, Dr. G. We appreciate you coming on here and uh, sharing what you know. David, it's been my joy. It's such an honor to get to meet you and be with you today. Thank you so much. Absolutely. God bless. All right. God bless, David.